Welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams, host of the Rhino Lab. Before we jump into the episode, I want to remind everyone, go to my website, influencereconomy.com. I will give you a free, like I said, free handbook for how to launch your idea, collaborate with your community to build products they love for the digital age. I'll help you launch your new business or startup or book or tech product. All of the above, I want to help your business launch Go to InfluencerEconomy.com for the free collaboration workbook. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy, the Rhino Lab, here with Danny Innie this week, who is the mastermind founder and CEO of Miracy, which has a program for how to launch courses called the Course Builders Laboratory. That full transparency, I'm a big fan of. I'm a part of their community. And he is the master of online education and how to launch a course based around a subject matter where you are an expert or you have knowledge base and you want to teach the world more about uh, what you know and how you can help your business that way. So, Danny, welcome. Did I did I miss anything there? No, you got the highlights. That's all good. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. And you are the author of the book, Teach and Grow Rich, which is your framework for how the online education revolution is changing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what's, uh, let's talk about the book. Like, what was the inspiration in writing it to begin with? Um, so I got into this world of online courses and I got into it a little bit by accident. Um, when I started my business, it was my current business. It was intended to be like a coaching and consulting type company. Um and, you know, we're going to have a course and it was going to be kind of on the side, this nice little extra revenue stream, which at the time it really was not because <laughs> that didn't work out well at all. Um, How many years ago was this? This was 2010, 2011. So six, seven years. Um, but, you know, I, I built my blog and I started doing things that people started noticing and were like, hey, that's cool. Can you teach me how to do it? And for the longest time, my answer was no, that's not my core business, it's not what I do. Um, but eventually I was like, all right, the market clearly wants this. I'll create a course. I'll just teach it. And that cycle repeated because I delivered the, that course. It did very, very well. We enrolled about a thousand like, students. Kind of, like giving a bigger perspective, can you explain what an online course is to people that aren't familiar with this new education movement? Oh, 100%. So um, it, it's, you know, that's an interesting question because what an online course is really depends on the imagination of the course creator. Um, so most fundamentally, um, what a lot of people do is they take their existing context of education, which is typically, you know, elementary, high school, grade school, um, college, university, whatever. In all of those cases, you basically have one lesson per week and it's for the duration of the program. So you pick your target, what I want to teach. Um, you break it into a bunch of lessons, one lesson per week. You sign up and the student who signs up then gets access to a members area and a new lesson shows up every week and it's typically a video and so what are with, some example uh, subjects that people have taught courses on that, that you, or, oh anything and everything i mean there's it, 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 i couldn't think of a subject or a topic where people have not taught courses on it um ranging from acting to writing to um i mean i've got you know one of my favorite examples i've got a student who's launched a very successful course on how to massage your elderly dog which I don't have pets, so I would have thought, you know, there there can't be a market for that, but clearly there is. Um, but there's a market for anything, everything. anything you know that is valuable that somebody else might want to learn. So why this is really interesting and important to me is that 
so much, especially in the U.S. and you're from Canada, there's education and you go in debt to go to college. And we don't necessarily learn trades in college. We, we learn political science or art history. And oftentimes people graduate and they're like, wait a second, I majored in Spanish. How do I get a job, you know, working in finance or working in any industry? Because, you know, if you're majoring in Spanish, let's be honest, like your doors aren't going to be knocking. People aren't going to be calling you out to to be a translator or anything like that. So let's talk about education in general and why this revolution is happening now. And then also how your book is a, pl- is a playbook for people to learn more about this industry. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. We could talk about this for days. Um, I think the, I have a very love hate relationship with, uh, <laughs> with education. Um, I, I think, I don't remember if we said it in, in when we first started talking after recording or before, but you know, I, I dropped out of high school. Um, I quit school when I was 15 to start my first business. And I had the bad judgment to go back to school and get an MBA a few years ago, which in hindsight was a huge waste of time. In-person MBA, not online. Um, It it, it was an executive program. So it was part online and part in person. Okay. Um, Huge waste of time and money. Right. And all that being said, I think education is incredibly important. It's just not very well done in most traditional settings. I think there are a number of things that are really making a traditional education less and less valuable. Um, there is the pressure of just the the work world moving and changing very quickly, much faster than academia can keep up. There is the factors of inertia of of tenure, which means that you know a professor knows what he knows and right. teaches what he likes to teach, and you know is going to be there till he dies basically. Um, there's also the factor of accreditation which was meant to protect consumers and make sure that you know the, the, the education they're getting is a good education. But in order for a, a university to remain accredited, they can only change their curriculum so much. So one of the constraints on how much you can change what you're teaching is the pace at which the accrediting bodies can change. So that's also a massive force of inertia. So this industry in general is really one of the, I hate the word disruption because it's overused, but when you think about traditional taxi cab services with Uber coming along and you think about larger companies going out of business right now and then startups coming in to assume the the mantle to take over the consumer what mm-hmm. i think is fascinating about what you're doing like uber for example has a supply and a demand for both sides of the market so they have all these people that want to drive and help and make money on the side it's an infinite supply and of course on the other side there's an infinite supply of people that want cheaper cabs and so for this online med- education movement there's something here that there is that demand for the the dog scratching course for your elderly dog, even if it's only you know 500 people, that you don't you validate the community and the course audience at the same time as you're validating the the teacher itself. Mm-hmm. So, for your perspective, what makes Lindsay so unique for your book? So here's why Lindsay's success is so exceptional, right? First of all, she's exceptional because she's an entertainer. Not everyone can become a YouTube star because not everyone has the requisite skills to be, you know, interesting and entertaining. Um, I couldn't be a singing, dancing, anything because who would want to see that? Well, it's like Uh, I live in Los Angeles and people line up, they get off the bus every day to become a star. hmm? And so this because there's a democratization of tons of YouTube content that you can post doesn't mean it helps 
uh, you to ascend to the top of stardom because well, but there power. are two layers to that, right? So the, the the hundreds of thousands of people who arrive in LA every year to want to become successful actors, they at least uh, you know not all of them, but many of them, they have some acting chops. This is what they want to do, right? They're a small subset of the 330 million people in the U.S., most of whom could not be a successful actor regardless of what opportunities came to them. Right. So that's the first layer of not everyone can do this. But yeah, the second layer is, you know, of the people who are capable entertainers, it's still you have to reach a really big critical mass. You need millions of people to like and appreciate what you're doing in order to reach a stage where it can pay your bills. And that's because, you know, how much money do you make when someone watches your YouTube video? Basically zero. Right. Right. How much money do you make when someone downloads your music track on iTunes? you know, 50 cents, a dollar, not very much. When someone buys your app on the iStore, when someone gets your Kindle book, they're all very low dollar transactions, so you need a huge volume. Education is a premium good. So whereas, you know, someone buying my book, you know, great case in point, my book, Teach and Grow Rich, second edition, sells for, I think, six ninety five on Kindle. So of that, I don't know what my take is, like maybe $4 or so. So if I want to make... Um, if I want to make $3,000, I have to sell 750 copies of my book. That's a right. lot of copies. Yep. But education's a premium good. Our course builders laboratory costs $3,000. I only need one person. And so if you're in a narrow focus targeted niche where you can get, you know, the proverbial thousand true fans, a thousand true fans who each pay you like $2 a year doesn't add up to very much. Right. A thousand true fans who each pay you $1,000 a year hey, now we're talking about real money. And the true and fans mantra we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Kevin Kelly was actually on it this summer who mm -hmm. wrote the this Wired article for background yep. of people listening. That's all about if you can get a 1,000 true fans in any endeavor, whether it's music or you're in, apps, in the app store, and they each pay $100 uh, a year, which is you know a, a fair uh, ask for your fan base, then you make $100,000 a year. So that's really the threshold is a thousand fans for any sustainable community that you can build a business off of. Well, but the challenge there is that you have to be in a space where the transaction value can be a hundred dollars. Right. The reality is that if you're a musician and the way people are going to support your work is by buying your, your music on iTunes, there just isn't a vehicle for them to give you a hundred dollars. And so the theory works great in practice. It's tricky if you're not selling something where you can command at least a hundred dollar or more price tag. And w when I researched my book, what I found the catalysm like of the of you able to like build a business off of anything related to blogging, app development, any technology endeavor that that third step, like you launch your idea, you collaborate to grow with your community and customer base. That third step was how to profit off that and how to build a profitable endeavor. And oftentimes like the big ticket item, which is a course, that's what people can, can really bring into their stable of work yep. that is of value. And in yep, other words, 100%. like, you know, in other words, it's like my own perspective here is that if you have a skill set or knowledge base that is something that you give out for free continually, like public speaking wise or a podcast or even doing workshops that you charge a nominal fee, that course really does become something of value that you are skilled in to teach others. Mm -hmm. And so why is this, 
why is this opportunity so, in my opinion, undervalued? Or are there tons of courses that I don't even know about? Because I still feel like a lot of people, they hear an online course and they think, oh, that's kind of scammy. Or, you know, there's a there's a lot of people that are cynical about it. You know, why would they pay for a course? Like, do you think this is a, a huge trend? Do you give any numbers that show the opportunities and the revenue? I do. So this is really interesting. Um, this is still happening a little bit stealth. A lot of people don't realize how mainstream it is, but it is becoming very mainstream. So if you had to take a guess, how much, what what would you think the size of the online e-learning, online courses and learning market was in 2015? Just a guess. Including universities? I sure. Would, I would say, I don't know, $500 million? Okay, so you're off by more than two orders of magnitude. It was $105 billion. Wow. And it's projected to grow to $241 billion in the next um, five years. $105 billion. Yeah. Wow. So it's like much, much bigger. Now we're talking about globally. We're talking about lots of different sectors. But this is not some fad of, you know, here's how you can make $100,000 and quit your job. And it's not one of those things. This is a global movement. This is where education is happening. And it's moving more and more in that direction. And so when you you mentioned you dropped out of college earlier, high school, or I'm sorry, high school, and then you went back and got your MBA, which is a waste of money. What? uh, Why do you think? How do you think that experience of dropping out of high school affects you with your vision now and helping others create courses? Um, it's, it's really interesting. Again, I'm, I'm self-taught on a lot of levels, just, you know, reading a lot of books, doing a lot of things, finding mentors that I could learn from. Um, my frustrations with high school and my later frustrations with my MBA, both in terms of, you know, I got some things that were valuable from them, but seeing the shortcomings really drove home how antiquated and outdated a lot of these formal education infrastructure systems just are. And there's so much that can be done. You know, the third chapter of my book is all about reimagining education. It's about let's not start with all the literally thousands of years of legacy ideas. You know, why do this is a great illustration of this. Why do so many people think that the optimal student to teacher ratio is 25 to one? Mm-hmm. Right. This is what a lot of people think they're optimizing for in an elementary school classroom. Right. That's you've heard that number. Yeah, that's right. Crazy. Uh, yeah. It's something that Maimonides came up with almost a thousand years ago. And he was teaching in a, a Jewish Talmudic oral tradition, which is it wasn't even a representative classroom a thousand years ago. Wait, we're, we're, a thousand years ago, this number came up for 25 to one. Yeah. And it wasn't even representative of the average classroom <laughs> then. <laughs> Okay. Like that's an example. You know, another example is this idea that you get a so lesson. So we're relatively, every... we're like a late stages um, drawing on caves at this point with our evolution. Not much, far, not much far off. Yeah. The idea that so many courses they deliver a lesson every week, and that's because that's how school works. You know, that's how universities work, colleges work. But if you think about it, why is that? Is that about creating a great educational experience. No, it's just because if the teacher and the students all have to get in a room for the lesson to happen, they've got to synchronize their schedules. Right. It was a logistical constraint, right? That's all it is. Yeah. Well, there's an element here of, you know, oftentimes people just get through school to get through it. Like they're forced to do it by society, their parents, their community. Mm -hmm. And it's a great idea to go to school. 
So do you do you think you were an anomaly to drop out of high school and have the success now, or do you think this is something that's more commonplace than and will be evolving to this more? Uh, it's a great question. It's a question that's been very top of mind for me over the last couple of years because I have a small child. I have two small children now. You know, my daughter is almost two years old, and so I've had a lot of conversations with my wife. Do we send her to school? Um, here's my take on it. I think that you know any any given you know city, town, population, whatever. There's a bell curve distribution, and the school system, assuming it's a good school, good teachers, all that is really designed and optimized for the middle of that bell curve. A lot of people think that it's designed for most of the bell curve, right? Only the really far outliers aren't a good fit. Right. I think it's really only good for people who are right in the middle of the bell curve. Um, I think a lot more people are not a great fit for that environment than, than people actually think would be the case. And there are also a lot of people for whom it is a great environment. So I'm not saying, you know, everyone should drop out of school. I'm saying everyone should be mindful of what is the environment that is best going to support them to learn and thrive and cultivate those experiences. So the majority, to your point about is it right for you or not in the bell curve, uh, the majority of my everyone I interview on this show is they had a curiosity that drove them. And they mm-hmm. turned that curiosity into something big that became something meaning- meaningful and changed people's lives in some way. Um, did you have that curiosity? Was that the reason why you left high school? Well, I, I would say yes, but I, I wouldn't say that that makes me special. Um, I mean, you've got kids. Yeah. Do you, have you ever met a child that's not curious? Yeah, right. But the, It's like every child is curious. Curiosity is part of who we are. The school, the, the formal traditional education system does an amazing job, and in fact was designed to do an amazing job of drumming that out of us. Right. Like if you think about it, modern education kind of took its current form or, or the near approximation of its current form in the late 1800s to prepare people to be factory workers. Right. Right. And it's grown a lot since then, but it's still, it does a very good job of getting everyone to do what everybody else is doing. It's, it's not a great environment for stimulating and developing that curiosity. So yes, I think that curiosity drove me to a lot of success, but I think I'm not special in being curious. No. I am special I'm special or fortunate in that I didn't um I left school rather than letting school squeeze that out of me. What was the first thing you did when you left school and what grade were you in? Um I was in so I was uh, 15, so that would have put me in the 10th grade. And I thought I'd start a business because, you know, I've got to do something. Um, so I knew a bit of HTML, which anyone who knows technology knows that means I knew basically nothing. Basic, basic web design. Yeah. Well, not design. Like, this or, is something I didn't understand at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. There's the, there's the design aesthetic, which I lacked, and the technical ability to just put a really basic page together. <laughs> right. But I was like, you know, I know HTML. I guess I can build websites. So I went door to door, store to store. And said, "Hey, do you, do you think you need a website?" And I, you know, I was fifteen. I didn't have the sophistication to even understand that the clerk at the counter at the store is not the person who makes that decision. Um, and I got no traction. But you know, then I, I I bounced into a different business and and eventually started seeing results and learned by doing. And you learned by doing, and then you started to. You mentioned you were doing consulting work, and mm-hmm. then you you piloted. People kept asking you to teach them courses. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a teacher in my personality. You know, everything that I do well comes down to being able to 
see patterns and things that are complex and explain them in a way that makes them simple. That's what a teacher does. Like that is, you know, point to anything that I'm good at. It comes down to that. And and, and so and, I explain things when, you know, when, and, and I get excited about new ideas when I'm fascinated by something like education, like horses, because that's what I'm super excited about now. I talk about it the way I'm talking about it now. And people would say, well, can you teach me more? And so I did. And so did you, in a way, pilot the course building without even trying to pilot intentionally mm-hmm. because you had the job and there was no pressure to, to make a lot of money off of it? Yeah, my whole life, pretty much. I mean, that's that's what I was doing. Yes. So I love the model of piloting because if you, oftentimes we give out all this free information, like we go to someone's office and we pitch them our business and then they ask for a PowerPoint and then three meetings later, you don't get the deal and you've spun mm-hmm. your wheels for 10 hours making this massive pitch. And I come from advertising and marketing and I've been burned so many times. But with your, your theory around course creation, you create the, the opportunity to find customers and you sell pre-orders in a lot of ways like a Kickstarter project where you're validating your idea with customers and you don't start it until you actually have the signups that reach your goal. And how, where did you come to be inspired for that model? Well, it's not a new idea. I mean, this is, you know, if, if you look at the lean startup, yeah, exactly. if you look at four steps to the epiphany, like this is, it's what the tech world has been doing for a long time. It's what all smart businesses have been doing for a long time. Um, bringing it to the world of education was, I won't say it was new because it's not, I mean, you know, in traditional education, they call it formative instruction. It's, it's not a new idea at all, but bringing it to the business of education was a at least somewhat fresh perspective that worked very well and seemed to resonate with a lot of people. And you don't spin your wheels just trying to, to make something that, because a lot of people think courses are you need to record 50 videos and you, need mm-hmm. to, you do all this legwork and then you launch the course and there's no one to buy it. Yep. So, And if people do buy it, it's very likely to be a suboptimal experience because it doesn't matter how good you are at your subject matter, you cannot anticipate all the questions and challenges that someone who does not have your subject matter expertise is going to have encountering this information and knowledge in this format for the first time. And do you, getting back to your kids, do you think you'll send them to, to high school? Um, I mean, my kids are, are I have two under two. Yeah. So high school is pretty far off. But, but you mentioned um, sending still, them to my school. My wife and I are still debating elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our current compromise is that she is that my daughter goes to grade one and at the end of grade one, she has a choice. Does she want to go to grade two or does she want to be homeschooled for grade two? Interesting. And whichever she chooses, she sticks with it for a year because I think it's important that children learn that decisions have consequences and they have agency to make meaningful decisions. But at the end of the year, she decides again, do I want to go to school? Do I want to be at home for a year? So this really guides your philosophy towards education across the board not just with your course mm-hmm. building, not with your dropping out of high school at 15, but it's with your, your daughters as well. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you're on this out, outward path to build this business, and there's something normal about what you do, but you think in a way that, I don't know, you're, re, you're reimagining, to your point, an industry. And so if someone wants to start a course right now, are you, do you just get so excited when you hear people with their ideas and like, how, how does that work? Like, cause 
I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's something here that your deeper synapses work on that not mm-hmm. all of us realize, but you're able to teach that to people. Well, here's what gets me really excited about the work that I do. Um, teaching people how to build courses is the first domino, right? If you look at if you look at how society has progressed through through you know years, decades, centuries, eons, society's always taken a big leap forward when we got better at taking knowledge, inspiration, and capability from one person's head and putting it in somebody else's head, right? Big leap forward when we evolved the ability to speak. Big leap forward when we developed the written word. Big leap, big leap forward with the printing press. Big leap forward with television, radio. Big leap forward, of course, with the internet. This is what's next. By helping other people take what they know and package it up in a way that creates a meaningful, empowering transformation for people who want to learn it, I get to knock down that first domino and, and empower other people to knock down the dominoes that they care about. That 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 gets me really excited. I love that. And you're empowering people to be respectful of their value. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, I already give everything out. I help others. I need to package this in a structure where I can charge $2,000 or you know $500 or whatever the amount is that actually – it's like a, I, gave, I gave a talk a couple of weeks ago in LA and it turned out that you know they didn't pay me and it was 100 entrepreneurs in a room and I used to just give that talk for free and sell a couple books but now I'm able to pitch my course at the end and I sold someone for my program. Mm-hmm. And so it's, a un, it's almost like fulfilled monetization that a lot of people don't realize is out there. Mm-hmm. And it's in service of the audience because if you've got a room full of 100 people who've been inspired by your ideas, then they're like, but what's next? How do I do it? Right. That, something that I feel like a lot of people get, like, you know, this is going back to learning concepts and theory, is that there, there are two layers of learning. The first layer is about literacy, right? That's going from I don't know what you're talking about to I do know what you're talking about. And explanations do that well. Stories do that well. So when someone comes to hear you talk, you know, you inspire them. You take them from not having a literacy in your ideas to having a literacy, right? I don't know what you're talking about. Now I do. But I can't do it myself, right? The next layer is fluency, going from, you know, I understand the idea to I can do it myself. That requires more detailed and more depth of explanation, more time to practice, more hands-on interactive experience. And it's a disservice not to provide that opportunity for people to learn when that's what they are now excited about and and you know it's like well where can i get that it's information versus learning which you talk about in the book yeah absolutely and so what books have you read recently that really moved you um that's a great question you know i i this is going to be silly but i i'm rediscovering a lot of kids books i just i just got this it's uh it's this book purple green and yellow that i'm reading to my daughter um you have you have small children i do yeah i've read read that book book. you read over and over and yes. over and over. So it's a constant negotiation uh, for more books. Yeah. So, so like, I mean, I'm just excited to be reading this book to my daughter because I, 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 you know, I used to substitute teach and loved reading this to the kids. So, you know, you ask a book I'm, that, that's moved me. It's like, there you go. Cause it's, it's a shared experience with my daughter. And what, uh, do you watch any television? Um, uh, through through like Netflix and through through my computer. I don't I don't have channels. What I don't, did you I watch recently that moved but... you on Netflix? Um, what are, you know, there's a show Lucifer mm. that is based on the work of Neil Gaiman, 
that I'm 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 enjoying a lot more than I expected to. I think it's it's clever, it's well written, it's interesting. Um, really enjoying that show. And uh, when we met in Montreal, you had a local diner that we met mm-hmm. at for lunch. That was I wouldn't say it's a greasy spoon, but it's not like your organic frou frou Southern California <laughs> place. No, it's really not. So what what's the why do you have a local establishment that you go because we you put the bill on the uh, or uh, the tab on your bill. Oh yeah, I'm I'm there almost every day. It's uh, the food is good. I enjoy it. It's like around the corner from my office. Um, it, it's a combin. It's the perfect storm of you know. It's tasty. It's convenient. It's like my little refuge and in the day. Do you have habits like that that you feel like you the comfort because you work from home? I, and, I'm very much a creature of habit. Yeah, isn't this your office and you're you're you you bought an, an, a condo and then you you don't live there right? But you have. Yeah, the condo's across the backyard. Actually, we just, because, you know, two kids, so our condo is a bit small now. Um, we just bought a house, which is four blocks away. Um, and that means my commute is going to go from being 90 seconds to being eight minutes. And what? that's a bummer. <laughs> and then your entire team is geo-diverse. So you manage people remotely. And then you have... Um, not the entire team. So there are four of us in Montreal. Um, but yeah, everyone else, there, there are a couple dozen people who are distributed across the globe. And then how do you rally them? Do you have a yearly events or quarterly events to meet in person? Um, we do a, a slightly more frequently than annual retreat. So like every 10 months or so, um, that's a week in person, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and you know, we, we have a weekly meeting and we have like all kinds of other stuff. So you keep everyone accountable. So you, have this modern business. You're disrupting education. I use disrupt with quotes because I uh, have a love-hate relationship with that word. Um, and you have big vision with everything, which I love. I love talking to people that have big plans and ideas, and then they actually execute on them because so many people get Thank lost you. with their visions. Um, so if there's one piece of advice you could give people to stay focused on the small details with their business, something that you've recently learned, what would that be? Uh, it's always about forward momentum. Um, forward momentum and a bias towards action is more important than anything. If there's something that you think you want to do, start moving towards it. Do it. You know, better better to execute on something that is not perfectly planned than not to execute and create a perfect plan. I love it. Um, where can we find you online? Um, there's my website, miracy.com. There's our podcast, Business Reimagined, on iTunes. And uh, if you want to learn more about course building, my work, um, really, it's the most it's the best thing I've ever created other than my kids. Um, my book, Teach and Grow Rich on Amazon. And we were saying before, it's really hard to write a book. So if you do buy the book, we always encourage to leave an Amazon review. Yes, please. Um, I would very much appreciate so that. So more people can discover it. Um, Danny, thank you so much for joining. My pleasure and my honor. Thank you for having me. All right. I think we're going to challenge people. I liked it. Hey, Ryan Williams back here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Danny Innie. Check his course, Builder's Laboratory Program, out ASAP if you want to launch a course. Secondarily, if you'd like my free handbook for launching, collaborating, and thriving in the modern economy to build products that you love, go to InfluencerEconomy.com. It's 46 pages, and it's 100 actions and lessons to collaborate to build thriving products. Thank you so much for checking out the episode, and I'm heading to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot. Mm-hmm.